Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Well, New Year. And we're going to jump right back into where we left off before the Christmas season. So we're back in First Peter, for reference. Now, Peter the Great was once quoted as saying, I have conquered an empire. But I have not been able to conquer myself. Pretty bold statement. I think a lot of us could probably attest to that. We've conquered many things in life. But we haven't conquered life itself, have we? This morning, I want us to talk about the things that are and the things that are not in relation to holiness. And we want to talk about, because we have a tendency to have a misconception about what holiness is. Some of us have an idea, some of us know Webster's definition of holiness, but what is true holiness? Holiness to many people means to be sinless means to be sinless or perfect. And a lot of times, holiness is often referred as boring. Funny, right? Boring. Okay, We're not supposed to have any fun. If we're holy, then we're not supposed to have fun. We're not supposed to smile. We're not supposed to greet one another like we actually care what we're doing on this planet. And more importantly, what we're doing in our ministry. It means for a lot of people a list of don'ts. Am I right? Don't touch, don't use, don't go there, or don't do that. That's how a lot of people view holiness. It's a lot of do nots. Well, this morning I'm here to tell you that it's a lot of do's. It's a lot of positive, and it's a way we look at things. We can look at Christianity as a way to humble ourselves before God, of course. But it's also an opportunity for God to show His great power in us and allow for us to reach those who do not have a relationship to Christ. So what is holiness? Well, at the foundation of the concept of holiness, there is something and is something completely different. We have learned that it is something or someone being set apart to God. God being made uncommon, exceptional, and unlike anything else. In other words, it's very unique. We find that holiness gets its primary quality from God, who is the ultimate in holiness. And when we speak of God's holiness, we understand him as totally other or exclusive, um, unlike anything in existence. He's utterly uncommon and apart. He is unlike created things because he himself is the creator. We also learn that holiness occurs when God touches something or someone and sets them apart for himself. We also learn that holiness involves setting apart to or and setting apart from something. So what is the results of that? Well, the results of sin is the separation from God to our own self-rule. Holiness, however, results in the separation of self and sin to God. You follow me? Holiness results in the separation from ourselves and our sin to God. The entire people 
of Israel were called to be set apart, to be uncommon, unlike their neighbors. They were to be called holy. They were to be unmixed, and their actions were to reflect this unique position and relationship that they had with God, or of being special, peculiar, but more importantly, belonging to him. So what are these biblical threads of holiness? Well, between the New and the Old Testament, there exists a fundamental shift in the way God's holiness is expressed through his people. In the Old Testament, the holy is that which is set apart from the common so that it is isolated for God's service. Now, each and every one of us has called to be holy. Each and every one of us in this room has been called to be holy, to be set apart for service to God. It can be said that in their perfect pre-fallen state, Adam and Eve were holy. And since they were created for and set apart for God. However, we know that their sin of disobedience soon resulted in a wall of separation between them and God. And since the earth was under the domain of Adam and Eve, it too became scarred by sin and separated from God. Today, both humans and the created order still testify to the existence of the creator. And although by itself, such testimony is kind of hazy and incomplete, kind of like a, uh, a jigsaw puzzle with some important pieces missing. And this is due in large part to the fact that we humans are born into this world skewed. We're born into it broken, fallen, dysfunctional, and unsanctified. In other words, we're separated from God. In one respect, the Bible is God's story of his love-filled efforts to re-sanctify us, the human race, and to once again make us his own people. While still in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve received God's pronouncement of punishment for their transgression. And yet in the midst of his judgment, God hinted at a future deliverer. It was though, and it was through the promise of a Messiah that God revealed his refusal, his absolute refusal to allow sin to thwart his plan to have the people set apart to himself, to have a people who, in response to his love, would love and serve him. The history of mankind is the history of God's working to bring about our salvation through sanctification or holiness. When he flooded the earth, God set apart Noah and his family. We've all read the story. We've been told this story for many, many years, especially when we started in Sunday school. When the earth was being filled with nations, God set apart Abram through whom to establish a nation uniquely his own, set apart to serve him and be a witness to a lost and dying world. In the New Testament, holiness is a dynamic process. How do we know this? Well, Jesus came. Jesus came. The holy is actually the common, infused now by God's spirit and transformed from the inside out for his service. Thus, our holiness has to do with God's transforming us into persons whose actions in daily life are 
expressions of himself. What we do and what we say should be a direct reflection of what God has planned for us. So when we're not in his righteousness, it's safe to assume that we are not going to be practicing those things that are of God. And it will not be evident in our life. But when we are, when we are transformed by God and allowing him to demonstrate himself through us, only then can we experience true Holiness. Holiness is setting apart. We need to be uncommon. We need to be unique. We need to be exceptional. We need to be holy. See, then we discovered that holiness exists in three stages, in which I'm going to talk about these three this morning. First of all, positional holiness. And that occurs when you are saved. It is about your position before God. In other words, past tense. It involves a change of relationship. The word holy, particularly in the Old Testament, does not refer to a moral state but rather to a relationship. There were holy cities, holy vessels, holy buildings. And when the Old Testament spoke of Jerusalem being holy, or the nation being holy, it did not mean that they were good, or that they were morally pure. That's not what they meant. It meant that they stood in a special relationship to God. They had a special relationship to God. They were set apart from a common to a holy use. How many of us think that we're common? Absolutely. We are common people. But God calls us to so much more. God calls us to do things that are beyond our comprehension that are beyond our understanding. When we come into true holiness, when we know that we are separated for a specific purpose, God intervenes and makes us holy. He makes us righteous. He gives us the ability to do things that only He can do. And He can do only through us because we belong to God. We belong to God. We are no longer common and we are no longer profane. We are righteous in his eyes. And this is what happens when we receive the gift of eternal life from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We've received that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We become friends with God, so to speak, having moved from the position of enemies to the position of friends. Are you friends with God? Do you have that kind of relationship to him? Where you can be walking down the street and you can just say, hey God, what's happening? What's going on? What do you have in store for me today? Lord, I relish the opportunity that you're going to place before me today. And I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to open my ears to what you have for me. Or are we scared? Are we in a scared relationship with God? Where the only time we approach God is when we're thanking him for our meatloaf. Or we're thanking him that we woke up today, which is a great thing to be thankful for, by the way. But what kind of relationship do we have? Are we on speaking terms with God? Essentially, this is about God's mind being changed about us. Do we understand that? Our relationship to God is about us changing his mind. How do we change God's mind? Is that even possible? 
Yes, we can. We've changed God's mind because we are all sinners. But through our acts and through our service, through our ministry, we convince God that we love Him. We convince God that we are adhering to His plan. And then He sees us as holy because Jesus has taken care of those sins for us. And we have received the goodness. And we have received the righteousness of Jesus. Even though our lives don't match up to our position at this point, especially in God's mind, He sees us as holy. Now, in all my years, and even my years in ministry, I have never really taken the time to think about that. That God would see me as holy. Have you taken the time to think about this? That God sees you in a light that you and I could never ever see? That he's called each and every one of us for a specific purpose. And it's of no coincidence that you're sitting where you're sitting right now. There is a reason for this. And God loves to reveal that to us. God loves to relish in the fact that when we are in God's favor, when we are acting in holiness and we are acting in righteousness, God likes to show off. God likes to show off through us. And like I said, even though our lives may not match up to our position at this point, God sees us as holy. And this is why the Bible calls all believers, underline all, all believers in Jesus Christ saints. And not just ones who a church hierarchy declares. It's not who we declare as holy. It is God who does that. Secondly, presentational holiness. And this occurs when you surrender. Not a little, not mostly, but all. We surrender all. It is about our consecration to God. In other words, present tense. So we've gone from past tense with positional. We are now in the present tense with presentational. So presentational holiness is best described in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And it is an action that occurs over and over again in our lives as we are motivated by the love of God and through gratitude to give ourselves and surrender our lives to God. We find that we will not surrender our lives to God on the basis of duty and responsibility but rather out of appreciation. Out of appreciation. That is, reflecting regularly on God's mercy that we have received, but we didn't deserve. We've received it, but we didn't deserve it. Progressive holiness occurs when we become Christ-like. It's about our cooperation with God. Future tense. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12 through 12 is where we're at this morning. It says this, They stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge and beseech you and plead with you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers... They may, because of your good deeds, and they observe them, glorifying God in the day of visitation. You see, 
Peter is urging his readers, not unlike Paul's beseeching and urging or pleading, but he is urging his readers in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to put off and abstain from the things that wage war against the soul. It's a constant battle that you and I face on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute basis. It's a constant test. It's a constant test of your survival because there's a lot on the line. Your soul's on the line. You see, this passage is explaining what you and I were called to be in our lives. If you want your purpose, here it is. In our lives, what the fruit of the progressive holiness is supposed to be. It's about becoming a unique people. We need to be set apart. We need to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Not our own possession, but for God and for God's purpose only. And our conduct... And our behavior is to be excellent. How many can raise your hands and say, your behavior is excellent at all times? Right? But this is what God is calling us to be. By excellent, he's not just talking about what we don't do. It's not about the don'ts. But it's about the actions that show the love of God to others. That's what he wants. You won't become Christ-like by imitating Christ. Let me say that again. You will not be Christ-like by imitating Christ. That will only result in failure. That will result in failure. You are not Christ. You cannot imitate him. You need to have Christ in you. You need to have Christ in you. He alone can produce himself in you. And progressive holiness is about Christ possessing and owning all of us. All that is us. It's how his character is produced in us. Every command and exhortation to holy living concerns progressive holiness. Just as a newborn infant is fully expected to experience physical growth until reaching mature adulthood, so too a newborn Christian is to grow spiritually until reaching complete Christ-likeness. And if you want reference, go to Romans 8, verse 29. It says it right there. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, What happens is that we are radically altered. Our whole being is changed. And as we go into the new year, we always talk about that C word, change. Oh, no. I'm already hearing the groans. We don't like that word change. But that's exactly what God wants us to do. He wants us to change. And even in our current state, we have not made it. We've made it to 2023, but we have not made it yet. And spoiler alert, you're not going to make it either. We're never going to make it. So what's the point? When Paul went out as a missionary, he he knew very well that he was going to be a failure. God told him, he says, Paul, I want you to go out and talk to these people. And Paul, they're not going to like you. They're not going to listen to you. 
And you know what? They may kill you. But Paul surrendered everything to the service of God. Just like we need to surrender ourselves to the calling of God. Now I know not everybody in this room is a Paul. I know not everybody in this room is a Moses or a Noah or an Isaiah or a Deborah. But he's made you, you. And that's what we need to be. We need to be us. We need to be those whom he created in his likeness. We need to be the people that we are called to be. God has called us to righteousness. God has called us to holiness. So our behavior and the likeness of that needs to be conformed to that which God has provided for us. We need to be radically altered. But know this, it's not just about our behavior. But what makes us do what we do is changed. The purpose behind the things that we do should be changed. That is at the root of being transformed by renewing our minds. We need to have a different mindset. Christianity, a lot of times, is looked as boring. It's not exciting. We're doing the same things over and over and over again. And then we expect different results. You know what they call that, right? Insanity. They think we're insane. Maybe we are a little. But through God's purpose and through His likeness, and when we change our attitude and when we change our way, the, the way we do things, only then can God do something miraculous. He can do something special. He can make us unique. He is speaking to people who have already had their heart changed by a faith filled with an encounter with Jesus Christ. How many of us have changed? through our encounter with Jesus Christ. And see, the author of this book of the Bible is telling us that now our minds must be changed. We must be reprogrammed. The tapes of all the lies we believe about ourselves in life must be rewritten. And I know that's hard for some because we think about our past life before we became Christians. We think about the things that we've done and quite honestly, the things that we will probably do even after we've become a Christian. We buy into the lies. We buy into the enemy telling us that we're not good enough. We buy into the things that prevent us from having that holiness, that righteousness that only God provides. He is saying that from the world's perspective, we have been brainwashed and now have to change our values our thoughts, our beliefs, and rewrite those to match God's values, God's thoughts, God's beliefs. And when we do so, we will know and understand God's perfect will for our lives. That's what a New Year's resolution should be. How can I transform myself into what God sees in me? We need to be able to do that because we know progressive holiness must be viewed in the light of this next truth. And that is, holiness requires the dynamic presence of God. None of this happens. None of this rewiring, none of this retooling, none of this change of attitude None of this happens unless God is allowed to come in and work through you. This is why Christ being reproduced in you and I is so important. We will not exhibit excellence. We will not be uncommon. We will not have called out lives 
that are radically different from the world in which we live without an intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. Which is why I ask you, what's the status of your relationship to Christ? If Christ were a Facebook, what would be your status? What's your status with Christ? Relationship between us and God is the most crucial component in the sanctification process. Anything which hinders that relationship, for example, sin, will also hinder our growth and maturity and our ultimate holiness or separation from our world of no. How many of us are living in a world of no? This is the means for which leaving the world of no exists. You want to say no to the world? You want to not be a part of the things that are tearing everything down? Get out of the world of no. Leave behind the things that hinder your relationship to God. And sorry to say that many Christians focus on the no as the purpose of their lives. It's not always about no. You know, it's as if living sinless lives is what God made them for. But avoiding sin is not the end here, but rather the means to our end. The purpose of our lives is to have that intimate fellowship with God. And in the process of that fellowship, we are to be made extraordinary people. People who are so different from the rest of the world that it stirs up things and the world takes notice and says, we want this too. People need to recognize God in us. People need to recognize their need for Christ. We leave the world of no in order to enter the world of yes. And that yes is the presence of God in our lives through which God alone produces in us the fruits of the Spirit. Like I said back in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated at the place of the highest honor beside, beside God's throne in heaven. Did you see it? The weight that slows us down, that keeps us from getting close to God, the sin that hinders our progress, the self-stuff that prevents us from becoming exceptional and set apart, uncommon and holy, that's what we are to strip off. That's what we need to get rid of. Yeah, I know a lot of us could lose weight. I'm one of them. But that's not what God really wants me to strip off. He's saying I need to get rid of those things that prevent my relationship from growing with him. And we're also to seek to do the positive. Do the positive. That is, run with endurance our race of life. Don't give up. By keeping our eyes on Jesus and not on this world. I'm hesitant to spend a great deal of time on the world of no because, because we are so introspective and if one spends too long on this area... We will consume ourselves with trying to clean up those lives and miss out on the real goal. The whole reason why God tells us to do this 
And it's just simply to have that intimate relationship with Him. Have an intimate relationship with Him. But the New Testament is filled with exhortations for Christians to stop allowing the flesh to control our lives, to put off sin, and to put on Christ. The exhortations are there to call us not just to purity, but to intimacy with God. And just like if you have a broken relationship with your spouse or your friends, until you clear up the offense, you cannot have that intimate relationship again. It's fractured. That is the purpose of looking at your life and how you have lived before God. Colossians 3.8 and 12-13 through 13 says it very similarly here. But now is the time to put off anger. Now is the time to put off rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and that famous word, patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Amen. See, we tend to look at the negative commands in these passages, but you have to look at the positive ones as well. Imagine taking off dirty clothes but not putting on clean ones. We are called in this passage to put off the things that keep us from becoming uncommon, unique and extraordinary, and to put on, clothe ourselves with the goodness that only He provides. A statement that should separate us from the world is we must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Easier said than done, amen? amen? But this is what God has called us to do. This is what he wants. We must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive them because the Lord forgave us, so we must forgive others. Did you know that there's only a 9% difference between Christian attitudes, actions, and character from the rest of our culture? Shouldn't that number be a lot wider? So in other words, we're saying that we are that close to living like those who do not know Christ. The number one reason? We don't have an intimate relationship with Christ. We go to church. We pray on occasion. We read on occasion. But we don't have that intimate relationship could it be that we are missing holiness, the uniqueness, the uncommonness that God is calling us to be? You see, sin cannot be taken lightly by the Christian. We should not say to ourselves, oops, I messed up, and treat it as so. Whenever we rationalize sin or we defend our actions, it is because we really haven't made the choice to rid ourselves of it. We are simply tolerating it. When you become sick of your sin, you will do anything you can to avoid it and ever gaining control over you again. Have you ever had something in your life that you overcame? And do you realize how you did that? It wasn't because you went into it with one foot. It's because you devoted yourself to the, the end game there. And that was to either get rid of something or achieve something. And you were successful because you were committed to it. You took extreme measures to protect yourself from its power because you learned to hate it. 
as Christians, we learn to hate sin. We don't hate the sinner. We hate the sin. Ask a recovering alcoholic or an ex-smoker about how much they hate their old sin. They know it's destructive power and will do everything they can to ensure that it never finds a crease or a crack in their lives to gain a foothold again. Your feelings about sin or a particular sin have a great deal to do with whether you choose to sin. It's in your power. So we need to have an attitude of hating that sin. Because every sin, every self-seeking, self-deifying action separates us from the intimacy with God. It will push Him farther and farther away. And I know we do that. But we also need to remember, though our goal isn't just getting rid of a sin so that we can boast about it later. That's not the purpose. You're missing the goal. It is so we can resume an intimate walk with God our Father. It's to continue in our footsteps which He has called us to take. We need to acknowledge it as a break in our relationship with God and ask for a purging or a cleansing from it. Confessing from it and turning away from it. Some Christians reject cleansing experiences due to their hardness of heart. They have grown accustomed to their lifestyle of a self-run, self-ruled life and really don't grasp the value of being close to the Lord. Others will experience sporadic, occasional cleansings by which God, when some painful experience or a powerful preacher touches his heart, but while he responds with genuine repentance, he does not change his life to any lasting degree. But the Christian who has a hunger and a closeness to God will work through three areas of cleansing. First, the external, the cleansing of the conduct. Second is the internal, the cleansing of the character. And then the core, which is cleansing of the why we do what we do. In order to purge ourselves from that, in order to understand holiness, we have to meet all these criteria. The deeper the cleansing, the more painful and difficult our sins are to deal with, the more joy you're going to get through them. That doesn't mean go out and do the biggest sin you can possibly imagine and then ask God for forgiveness so you can feel good about it. Again, this is not about our boasting. This is about God working in our lives. This is about God purging you from the thing that keeps you from Him. To deal with the core and the root issues of our character and the motives of our heart require a passion and love for Jesus Christ. We won't intentionally experience pain unless supernaturally motivated. A story for you. The founder of Kraft Foods was an outstanding Christian. Mr. Kraft spent the last few winters of his life in Miami. And he had an invitation to address a convention in San Francisco. And the newspapers of Miami made note of it. The night before he left for San Francisco, the telephone rang. A woman's voice filled with sadness said, Mr. Kraft, I see by the paper that you're going to San Francisco tomorrow. And I want to ask a favor. My son is in Alcatraz for life, and I write him and send him gifts, but he has never responded. Would you please go see him and ask him to write me a note? Kraft agreed to the lady's request, and he went to the prison and was granted permission to visit the young man. He started down the corridor to where it turned right and to the visiting room, and just as he made the turn, a big hand shot out in front and clamped him by the chest and a voice said, stand perfectly still, Mr. Kraft, and don't move 
for a moment. Kraft said he heard a buzzing sound, and then a voice said, Okay, Mr. Kraft, you're clean. Offended, he asked, What do you mean I'm clean? Of course I am. I mean, said the guard, that you don't have anything that you should not take to the visitor's room. And he went on down the hall thinking to himself, suppose Christ would stop me around the next corner and say, stand still, Mr. Kraft. Let me see if your heart is clean on the inside. Said James Kraft, I stopped where I was and asked God to examine me. You see, the greatest barrier to holiness isn't motivation, but accumulation. That is, the frustration and defeat one feels from the buildup of unnoticed and unconfessed sin. Because intimacy with God is necessary to become Christ-like, we must realize that our intimacy and fellowship with God is dependent upon the cleansing of our hearts before Him. A pure, blameless relationship in which we receive cleansing of our hearts by only the blood of Christ. Confession is the primary tool here. It is where we agree with God that sin is sin. That He is God and we are not. It may require asking God to show us our sin. Ooh, scary thought, right? God, show me my sin. Ooh, no thanks. But at the same time, yes, please. One should begin with a quiet time and pray and thank God all he has done in your life. Open a journal and ask God to reveal the specific sins in your life and list all that come to mind. Then confess them one at a time, asking specific forgiveness for each occurrence of that sin as well as cleansing of the motive that caused it. Make restoration and humble yourself to the offended party if there is one. Repent. Turn from it. Leave it behind. Stay right before God. Enjoy fellowship and maintain it. You see, sin will keep you from prayer and prayer will keep you from sin. And by prayer, I'm not talking about petitions, but quality one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. By forming the habit of choosing God's counsel instead of the world's and God's strength instead of our own, as we do so on a real and consistent basis, the fruit of the Spirit will be increasingly manifested in our life. C.S. Lewis so wisely notes, Our maturity as Christians is of monumental importance to God. Whereas we may at times be tempted towards complacency regarding our spiritual growth and development, but God has quite a different plan. I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two or however many sins, were obviously an obvious nuisance in our lives. We are inclined to feel, though we do not put it into words, that we are now good enough. He has done all we wanted him to do, and we should be obliged if he would now leave us alone. As we say, I never expected to be a saint. I only wanted to be a decent, ordinary chap. And we imagine when we say this that we are being humble. But this is the fatal mistake. Of course, we never wanted and we never asked to be made into the sort of creatures that we are. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what He intended us to be when He made us. He is the inventor. We are only the machine. He is the painter. We are the picture. We may be content to remain what we call ordinary people, but he is determined to carry out quite a different plan. And to shrink back from that plan 
is not humility. It is laziness. It's cowardice. To submit to it is not conceit or megalomania. It is obedience. There is no possible degree of holiness or heroism which has ever been recorded of the greatest saints, which is beyond what God is determined to produce in every one of us. In the end, the job will not be completed in this life. Like I said, spoiler alert, we're never going to get to that point. But he means to get us as far as possible before our death. The great percentage of folks in America today claim to be Christian. Some have even said that they believe that Jesus died for their sins. But their lives do not match their profession. And the world says to them, we don't believe you. When the world looks at you, when the world looks at us, can they believe us when we say we are followers of Christ? That Christ has a hold of my life, Christ has a hold of your life, and our actions demonstrate that. Can the world say that about us? Others of you may have been Christians for many years, but maybe today you've had your heart stirred by an awareness that you've been living in an all-too-ordinary life, one that does not reflect the extraordinary, the holy, the set-apart in nature that God has created you for and gave His Son's life up to ensure that you do. The good news is today, even though it's the new year, but today... In this moment, you can change that. You can become extraordinary. You can be set apart. You can experience the holiness. Or perhaps you have realized that you're ordinary because you have neglected your relationship with God and need a deep cleansing of your heart. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. So this morning, I want you to ask Him when you have that intimate relationship with Christ, is He working in you? Is He working through you? And if you don't feel that presence, Ask him. Ask him what he has in store for you. Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And it is not that he knew them once, but that they did not know them at all. I urge you. Paul urges you. Peter urges you. Have that intimate relationship with Christ. Experience true holiness. If you have simply taken out fire insurance by acknowledging Christ as Savior, but you have not had a transformed life, then you should be asking God if you ever belong to Him in the first place. Do some self-reflecting. But more importantly, don't do it on your own. Ask God for help. That's what he's there for. Ask others around you so that you can be accountable to them. And let us go into this new year seeking to be one of the righteous, seeking to experience true holiness and allowing God to shine through us. Amen? Amen. David, come. I'm going to go shortly, but I would like to do an invitation. Nancy, Nate, Keith, would you join us, please? You've used the word cleanse a lot this morning, which I I appreciate. Lord, would you wash us away?
first day of this new year, and may this be our heart's desire, Lord, each and every day as we begin the day, that you would wash us away, that you would cleanse us as we go into the day to be a difference maker for the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. It could very well be this morning that you want to recommit your life, you want to give your life to Christ, or maybe you want to join this fellowship. I don't know. But as we sing, give this to the Lord if you would. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together this morning. And I pray as we leave this building that you will open our eyes and our ears to the opportunities that you will place before us. Lord, we want you to brag. We want you to show your glory through us. But Lord, we have to choose to accept that. We have to choose to surrender ourselves fully to you so that you can have that opportunity. I pray that as we go into this new year that we are going to reach others for Christ, that we're going to allow you to do the things that you do, Lord, in spite of our own iniquities, that you will shine through us and that you will be glorified. Lord, again, thank you for our time together. Keep us safe during the week and mindful of those who need to be ministered to. Lord, thank you for your blessings. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.